0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: And today, I want to share with you, over the next few minutes, I want to share with you a follow-up, really, from the passage we read during the Torah Torah reading, which was the Brit HaDashah passage, the New Covenant passage from Romans chapter 8. It's a beautiful passage. I noticed when I was reading it, there was resonance with some of you. It was like registering to you afresh and anew. This passage from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 35. You'll remember these words, who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Will you say that with me? Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? And let's say that again, but will you please insert me in that instead of us? Let's say it together. Who shall separate me from the love of Messiah? That brings it even closer to home, doesn't it, when we think of it like that? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate you from the love of Messiah? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And in the first century among the first believers, that was definitely true. But let's not just think it only happened in the first century because now in the 21st century, there are those who are laying down their life in far and sundry places who are laying down their life for Messiah Yeshua. But who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? And verse 37 is a wonderful and a powerful verse. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's say that together. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8:35 which we just read mentions the love of Messiah. And Romans 8.37, which we also just read, highlights the victory, the victory we have as Messianic believers because of what Yeshua did for us. Again, to remind you of what we just read, Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there's that statement that has gone out since the first century, and I'm suggesting to to you today, even before the first century, and yet we have our daily lives, don't we? Have you had challenges this past week? Have you had issues that popped up that you didn't anticipate? Were you in, uh, we, as we sang that song, I wait upon you, Lord, I was thinking about how we probably have so many things we're looking to the Lord for personal things, family things, and some of us are praying for our society, and, and Lord knows we need to be praying for Israel at this time with enemies surrounding at various levels of animosity. But this passage, Romans 8, the connecting of God's love that we read of in Romans chapter 8 with victory in life through Messiah Yeshua is a very important concept. And it's found, this concept of the love of God and victory in life is found throughout the Scripture. Now, if you don't have your Bibles today, fasten your seatbelts because there's a lot of Scripture we're going to cover. I was warning some beforehand that uh, we're going to cover Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Now, we're not going to cover all the Scriptures between Genesis to Revelation, but the point here today theologically is that this idea about God's love and his care coupled with the idea of him granting victory is not just found in Romans chapter 8. It permeates from the Torah, through the Ketuvim, through the Nevi'im, through the Brit Chadashah all the way to the book of Revelation. For example, last week's parashah, the sedra from last week, from Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, beginning with verse 7, said this, The Lord did not set his love on you. Chashach Adonai the complete Jewish Bible version, translates that he did not set his heart. Well, what is the heart? The heart is, theologically, the seed of love. We are to love God with All our heart, and then all our being, the heart theologically is the seat of love. We talk about the heart of God, and when I think about the heart of God, I think about his love, his love for humanity. He doesn't desire for any to perish, but for all to come to a knowledge of the truth as the truth is in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers the lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of pharaoh king of egypt there it is this coupling of the love of god with great victory would you agree with me deliverance from pharaoh and the land of egypt was a great victory anybody there it was a great victory And God's love and his redemption are linked in scripture over and over again. It would be easy to miss it. It becomes more obvious in a passage like Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And then two verses later, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And I wouldn't want anyone here to leave today without understanding that God loves you in a very real way, in a personal way, and because of such great love, he grants victory to you as you will walk with him. We read this powerful passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 2. Love this passage. The only problem is I say that about all the passages I read. (laughs) You do too, some of you, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 2, says, Thus says the Lord. That gets my attention every time. It isn't thus says the New York Times or the Oklahoman or thus says some politician or thus says some sports person or some celebrity. I'm not that interested in listening to them. But when it says, Thus says the Lord. Don't we want to listen to that? Here's what he said Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, Matzahchen, found grace, found favor, divine favor, matzachen, they found favor in the midbar, in the wilderness. Now you, you should note in this passage, it's, an, it's an, an interesting use of words here in Jeremiah 31, verses 2 and 3. In the Bible, the Hebrew language, that term that I just said, the Hebrew term matzachen, is first found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Exactly. Genesis 6, verse 8, it says, Venoach, matzachen, ben Adonai. Translated, that means, and Noah found favor, he found grace, matzachen. He found grace, he found favor where? Be'ne Adonai, in the eyes of the Lord, Noah found favor. And then, right after that passage, is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The very next verse says this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. It enters into a description of Noah, what he was like. You can call it a character study of him. It says that he was an Ish Sadiq. He was a righteous man, a just man. Tamim Hayab Adorotav. He was blameless in his generations. And you know, he lived through a lot of generations. (laughs) I don't know, how long did he live? 600 years or more. So the Hebrew is in the plural. He was blameless in his Dorotav, in his generations, not just a dor, a generation, but Dorotav, all his generations. He was blameless through the whole, his whole lifespan. He was in each Sadiq, Tamim Hayabed Dorotav. And then it says this, and this is a, a very key phrase to all this: Elohim hitalech noach. It says, Noach, what did he do? He walked with god could it be that the very secret thing that we need to do in this generation is to hit halech with the lord to walk tenderly with the lord to be a people or a person that walks with the Lord regardless of the situation that arises. And we know from the life of Noah, as we read in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, that all around him, virtually everyone was going astray. Doing exactly what we sang in Cherry's beautiful song of Isaiah 53, the words from the scripture. Each one was turning to his or her own way. And what did Noach do? He was an Ish Sadiq, a just man. Tamim hayabe dootab. He was blameless in his generations, and he walked with the Lord. Will you walk with the Lord in this generation? You know, and probably, I, I, I don't want to be a downer or a bummer to any of you here today, but I don't think any of us are going to live over 600 years. <laughs> Can you imagine how many nursing homes there would be around here? <laughs> but that was Noah. He was faithful, basically. He had issues later in his life, but he was faithful in his generation. Will you be faithful in this generation? Because that's the key. That's a key to victory in the Lord, being faithful to the Lord in your circumstance, no matter how difficult it is. And if your life's like mine, you have times where you have some difficult things come into your life. I love the word seasons, and I'm not talking about salt and pepper, that's seasonings. But I love the idea of season. I'm so thankful that my whole life hasn't been all a difficult season. And I'm so appreciative to be able to come here and fellowship with you all. To be here, especially to spend time on Shabbat. As I've mentioned many times, I'm not here because I have to be. I'd be here whether I had to be or not. To this very day, you know, we still find grace, we still find God's grace. We can see it among those that are doing what is right in God's sight. And who are refusing to live according to the ways of this world, no matter how much pressure comes on them, they refuse to live in the ways of the world. And you know what else? They walk humbly with the Lord. Lots of discussion about the word humble, but one definition is a person who's humble is a person who knows who God is and who he is under God. There's humility. It's not inverted where God has submitted to you. But you are submitted to the Lord. That's a humble person. Knows who God is, fears the Lord, and desires to walk underneath his tutelage. Genesis, uh, Je- Jeremiah 31, 2 and 3, back to this passage, says, Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, Matzachen, they found grace, divine favor in the wilderness. And then it says this, Israel, When I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, ahavat olam With an everlasting love I have loved you. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. This passage suggests in Jeremiah chapter 31, it suggests that there's a desert time and there's a victory time. And the Lord is sovereign over both of these. And sometimes our life experiences both of these. Have you had a day where it started out wonderfully and then it went bad? A day where it started out terribly and then it went well? Most of us have. Know in your heart that God is Lord over that whole day. Whether it's the midbar, the desert experience of your life, or whether it's the, 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 the shouts of joy and victory in your tent, God is sovereign. He's the Lord. This passage suggests that God's love for Israel, this passage in Jeremiah, again, chapter 31, verses 2, two and 3, the Lord says, The people who survived the sword found grace in their wilderness Israel when I went to give him rest the Lord has appeared of old to me saying yes I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you God's love for Israel more commonly we say today the Jewish people is unending you know that's true even if some rashly declare God is done with the Jewish people he's not through with Israel the Jewish people he's very much at work we're seeing a great revival happening it's it's small in numbers it seems but from the initial some it's great a great revival but some said God's through with Israel I've heard that in my own life face to face (laughs) ouch God was done with the Jewish people. And you heard the other ideas there. God has replaced the Jewish people. God has cast off the Jewish people. God is through with the Jewish people. Ever it's been said. Maybe that's what Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, was addressing, that idea, that mentality. In Romans chapter 11, verse 1, when he says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? <laughs> We've been studying the book of Romans. We're on chapter 12 this Tuesday. It's full of rhetorical questions that he brings out, and then he answers them. This is no exception. Actually, this is one with a lot of oomph after it. I say then, has God cast away his people? And then Rob Shaul Paul immediately responds with this. It's forceful. One translation says, in answer to, has God cast away his people? This translation says, certainly not. I find that unambiguous. I found that clear. Rob Schull didn't say, Paul the Apostle said, say, well, let me think about this for a little, little while. Or I'll, I'll get back with you. I need to see what the answer is to this. If God has cast away his people, he responds, certainly not. And notice what happens Afterwards, in the book of Romans chapter 11. It says, God has not cast, in verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Further, in verse 25 of Romans 11, we read, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You know, I've heard people say that Jewish people rejected Jesus. And they quote from John, I believe it's chapter one, where it says, I think it's verse 12. I may be wrong about that. But it says, it says this, he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. And they say, see, that's what the Bible says. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. You almost want to get a a bell or something to say, whoa, come on now. Read the rest of this. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And then the very next statement is, but as many as did receive him to them, he gave the right, the privilege to be children of God. B'nai Elohim. If you stop reading in one in that context, just that one verse and you stop there came unto his own his own did not receive him and you close the book at that point, you're misled. You're not rightly dividing the word of truth because there's nowhere it says that God has cast away the Jewish people and that is true to this very day. He's still actively involved with the Jewish people. And by the way, did you notice he said Partial blindness in Romans eleven twenty five. 25. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations, the Gentiles, has come in and you can see God working together with the Jewish people and with the nations working together to bring about his great purpose. How many of you are glad that God cares about every people group on the face of the earth? He's no respecter of persons. The priority, the gospel priority says to the Jewish people first. First as a priority, not as a superiority. But also to all the nations. Yeshua in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Good starting place. How many of you like to start out in Jerusalem? I would. <laughs> I used to live there, loved it. Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. What's the next part? uttermost parts of the earth. It's in the heart and mind of God for all to repent, for all to come to a saving knowledge of his holy son, Yeshua the Messiah. He hasn't cast away Israel. You know, also in Romans, it says we have a, we have, as we read what the scripture says, we have a living hope in Messiah Yeshua. In Romans eleven twenty nine. We read concerning Israel, the Jewish people, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable, as some say it. And in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, and this passage is on almost every ketubah I've ever seen. A ketubah is a, a Hebrew language marriage certificate or Aramaic language. Virtually everyone I've ever seen, ketubah, including my own, has something from. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Listen to this beautiful passage. If you remember the context of Hosea, God was talking about Israel as being unfaithful to him. But even then, in unfaithfulness, even then, he didn't remove his love from Israel. Hosea 2, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Again, as I mentioned, we should be exceedingly thankful that due to God's love exhibited in Messiah Yeshua, his holy son, That the message of redemption and victory has gone out not only to the Jewish people, to Israel, but also to all the nations, to the whosoever wills of the nations. And we have a living hope in Messiah because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 37. If you remember, it's true for all God's people we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this isn't the only place in the B'r'i in the New Covenant where Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Messiah Yeshua. And it goes on from there. Now notice also the message in John chapter 3. The next verse after verse 16. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. When it talks about the world is it excluding the Jewish people? No it includes all the world. Jews and Gentiles that the world through the world through him might be saved. In verse 18, it says, he who believes in Yeshua is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Friends, if you don't know how all this ends... I mentioned the Torah, and I mentioned Revelation. If you don't know how all this ends, if you haven't read the end of the book, I want to clue you in into what is going to happen. What we're told in Scripture will take place, in a nutshell, I could say it this way, God is triumphant. In a nutshell, let's say it that way. He is triumphant, and he shares victory with his people. Blessed be his name. And his people include not only Jewish people, but all those who have come to know the Lord God of Israel through his son, Yeshua the Messiah. In Revelation chapter 7, it mentions the 144,000 special, unique Israelites, Jewish people that come to, to be, come out of the great tribulation, pure, clean. They survived the great tribulation in triumph. And then right after the 144,000 are mentioned, if you remember in Revelation 7, it goes tribe by tribe, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. Then right after that, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. After the 144,000 are mentioned, who survived the great tribulation, we read in Revelation 7, verse 9, after these things I looked... And behold, a great multitude which no one could number. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. <laughs> And they were crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne. And they did what? They worshiped God. We need a head start on worship, friends. If you think worship is a, you know, a spectator sport... It's a participation sport. It's not even a sport. It's a way of life. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying amen, which means so be it. Affirmation, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever, and then there's an amen again, an untranslated Hebrew word. For Messianic believers, for folks like you and myself, your struggles and trials that you are going through, they serve the purpose of bringing you closer to the Lord and adding depth to your relationship with him. I know at the time when we're going through it, I don't say you going through it, we're going through it. At the time we're going through some trials that just have, they seem well beyond us. At that time, it doesn't seem like there's so much value to it, but there's incredible value to know the Lord in the midst of your trials and know the Lord in the midst of your victory because he's sovereign Lord over both. But for us... The trials serve the purpose. They help bring us closer to the Lord. And how many of you can say that honestly? Think about it for a moment before you raise your hand or don't raise your hand. But how many of you can honestly say that going through certain trials in your life has really brought you closer to the Lord at times? It's true for me. I learned some things about the Lord, whatever we can, through some of the most difficult times in my life. Some of my loneliest times. Some of my most desperate times. I learned some things about the Lord. Things where the roots of understanding concerning his faithfulness went deeper. Where the roots of understanding concerning his provision went deeper. Where the roots of understanding of that unmatchable love of God went deeper into my heart and life. And that's transforming, isn't it? When you learn about him. It says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Friends, if you're going through a struggle now, do not lose heart. Don't give up. Keep your eyes focused on our Messiah because he reigns and he's coming back soon. Therefore, we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing. Yet, The inward man is being renewed. How often? Every day, day by day. Our trials are daily at times. Renewal is daily too in the spirit. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, comparatively when you think of eternity, what we go through is momentary. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And here's a secret for us. Here's a key for us. When we're going through these light affliction times or these moments of affliction, these periods of affliction in our life, we do not look at the things which are seen. Well, if we can't look with the eyes of our heart at the things that are seen, then where do we put our eyes? We do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, you know what? They're temporal, they're temporary. But those things which are not seen, they are eternal. You know, we can't really see the love of God, but we can see it at work. We can't really have an object and say, this is the peace of God. No, but we can feel the peace of God, that shalom that passes all understanding that he gives to us in Messiah, Yeshua. In James chapter one, Yaakov chapter one, it says this, my brethren, (laughs) what a way to start an epistle, by the way. This is verse two of the epistle. (laughs) My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Whoa, whoa. Try living up to that at times. We can with the Lord's help. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3 is the key. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Savlanut. Long suffering. Verse 4 of Yaakov, James chapter 1. But let patience have its perfect Work. Have you ever been impetuous about your situation? Have you ever been spurious in your decisions during your troubles? Have you ever made rash decisions that made your troubles worse? Let patience have its perfect work. We spoke and sang today about waiting on the Lord. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be blameless, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So my conclusion today is this, I'm convinced, and you probably are also, I'm convinced that we are transitioning rapidly into an increasingly perilous time on the face of the earth, an increasingly perilous time in human history. I don't think one needs to be a prophet to see that. The very things that Yeshua spoke about in passages like Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, or Mark 13. The very things he spoke about, those things that would usher mankind into the end of days, things such as nation rising against nation, rumors of war, famines, pestilences, Earthquakes in various places, those very things and, and, and others that Yeshua talks about, they have been upon us for quite some time now. Have you noticed that? Did we suddenly just come into a, a season where there's nations warring against nations? No, it's been happening for decades and decades. <laughs> Did we suddenly come into a season where there's an issue about food? Well, in America, we're pretty plump, aren't we? <laughs> We're rife with produce and all that stuff. But in other parts of the world, it's not true. And when it talks about famine, that's real life there in places like the Horn of Africa, areas of Central and South America and Asia and other places, and even pockets of the United States. Nation against nation, rumors of war, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, we still have a crack in our cement from an earthquake that hit out by El Reno. Who would have thunk that, huh? Earthquakes in El Reno. (laughs) And these things, they've been happening for quite some time, but Yeshua's words in Matthew 24, verse 37, should help tie this together some. Matatiaw Matthew, chapter 24, verse 37 says, But as the days of Noah, Noah were so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Right up to the moment the door was closing on the ark, they were still doing those things. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now there are many ways to look at this admonition from the Lord. This example he gave of what to watch for, of what it was like in the days of Noah in comparison to the final days of this earth. But I want to emphasize one aspect of this to you. The generation... Around Noah, that whole generation, except for the eight of them, Noah and his family, that whole generation was caught up in the world and its ways. That whole generation. They were, to use other terms, they were living according to the flesh. They were fleshly in their motivation and their orientation, they were uh, sinful in their desires. And they didn't even recognize what was coming upon them. It tells us in the Berit Shah that Noah was a preacher of righteousness to that generation. And it intimates that it was not only his example with his life. And by the way, you're the preachers too. Because you're preaching something with your life to those around you. What are they hearing? What message are you transmitting through your life? Through your words, through your decisions, through your actions? What are we transmitting The intimation about Noah is not only did he live it, but he spoke it and proclaimed it. He tried warning, you know, how far could that go? They didn't pay attention. It seems like the ones that really heard him, trusted in what he said, believed, even with all that was happening around them, was Noah's family. Hence, they were the ones saved. But that whole generation around Noah had set themselves on fleshly things. Not spiritual things. Not seeking God, the creator who created all things. They weren't interested in that. They had their own pursuits. They were their own gods. It's my will, not your will, Lord. It's my desires that need to be satisfied, not your desires, Lord. I do what I want, Lord, I'm my own master. How long does that last? <laughs> what does that bring? It wreaks havoc, destruction. Their affections in the days of Noah, they were set on earthly things, not on the will and ways of God. And we must be careful in this generation. You don't have to go far on the Internet to find things that aren't very wholesome. You don't have to read much in the newspapers or in the magazines to find things that really are not conducive to godliness. And we need to take a stand and not go those directions. We need to be sons of Noah in the real way. Followers of the Lord as Noah was and others after him. And how was Noah? Well, he's a man whose heart was inclined to the Lord in his ways. You realize how many times he could have said, I'm tired of building this boat. I'm tired. It's too hard to schlep all that wood here and do this. My sons aren't helping me as much as they should be. And what's this stuff rain, Geshem, that you're talking about? This mabul that you're prophesying, you're saying is going to happen. I don't even know what rain is. There were hundreds of excuses, no exaggeration, you could list for Noah to not do the things of God and to follow the ways of the generation. There are probably hundreds of things you can list for your life that would point you in the ways of debauchery. Don't do it. Be in our generation. What's 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Well, let me read Philippians 2 first, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. (laughs) That's powerful there. Have you always obeyed? (laughs) As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with reverence, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It continues in verse 14 of Philippians 2. Maybe this is the most challenging part. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault where in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I conclude with this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's one of the more har- harrowing statements that I can think of in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you. Notice the strength of the terminology there. Also plead with you, New King James Version. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, the Lord says, in acceptable time I have heard you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. This time now in our generation is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of Yeshua. Will you please pray with me? And I'd like you to take a moment, if you would, just to consider the direction of your life? Have you asked him to help you? Have you offered him thanksgiving? Have you removed complaining and kvetching and bitterness and those things from your life? Because these things impair that work of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit deep inside of us. Have you asked him to remove those things from you? Have you asked him to lead you into his will? Have you told him that, Lord, wherever you go, I will follow. Wherever you lead me, I will go as long as I know you're leading me and I'm following you. Have you let him be Lord over the most difficult circumstance you're facing right now? Have you let him be the one who's sovereign? Please take a moment and ask him to help you. Let him know that you want his way and not the ways of this generation. Let him know from you, deep inside of you, that he really is your Lord. And you love him because he first loved you. Let him know that you appreciate so great a salvation. You appreciate the sacrifice Yeshua made for you. And Maybe you don't understand all the theology or the ramifications, but you know this, there's no other way, no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved than Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this day. Thank you that coupled with your love, you also grant victory to your people. We thank you that you have expressed and given grace to us through Yeshua your holy son because the Torah came through Moses grace and truth came through your son Yeshua the Messiah Lord I lift up each individual each married couple each family represented here today and ask oh Lord for sovereign intervention in their lives there are some that need your guidance and provision there are some that need you to correct their path because they're going the wrong way There are some, O Lord, that need you to grant unto them living hope, hope deep inside. And there are some, O Lord, that just need to know that you are a heavenly Father who loves them and calls them to yourself. Thank you, Lord. We're confident that you're able to do much more than we can even imagine according to the power of your Holy Spirit that works within us. May your name be praised May you be exalted in our lives. May you find us not entrenched in the ways of this generation. But may you find us building arks and leading others through the doorway, Yeshua the Messiah. I ask these things in his name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.